God has created each of us to be communicators because God is a communicating God. God reveals himself through words, namely his divinely inspired word in the scriptures. He is the self-revealing God. He did not write words in the skies or leave it on a napkin for someone to find. Nor did God possess a man and through him write. Rather, God chose to reveal himself through verbal communication. God spoke and things came into existence. And when God speaks, he reveals truth about himself. In other words, our God is a truth-telling God. The Bible says that our God cannot lie. In Numbers 23, in verse 19, Moses writes, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Therefore, truthfulness is an essential part of God's creation. It's at the very core of of man's rebellion against God. Because this creation has God's imprint upon it, because we as those created in His image have the imprint of truthfulness, revealed truth, revealed through the cosmos in the things that were created. God reveals Himself through His creation, but God particularly reveals himself through his word. And at the center of God's self-revelation is man's willful rebellion against him. Such that the Apostle Paul writes of the depraved man when he says of him that he has exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Thus, Where truth was an essential part to God's creation, lying has become a central aspect to our fallen, depraved state. Friend, no one ever had to sit you down and teach you how to be a liar. We are by nature liars. Some of us better than others. Some of us spending a lifetime Learning how to be better liars. Some of us quite good at it. Such that you come in, you come out every week with smiling faces and we ask you, oh, how are you doing? Oh, all is good. We know it's not. I mean, you can't have good days every day. Let's be honest. We're taught very early on that white lies are morally insignificant. That sometimes lies are justifiable. But by the grace of God, Christ Jesus came into the world to deal with the greatest lie ever told. The lie that man can live apart from God. 
the lie that you and I can be autonomous, self-ruling creatures. The lie that we can live life our own way and live. We've believed the lie. We've lived our own life and we think everything is great. But Jesus Christ came into the world to reveal truth for he is truth. And this morning we want to think about our truth-telling God and the call to be people of integrity. Jesus has been through the Sermon on the Mount teaching his disciples these kingdom distinctives by holding up a higher ethic than the law of Moses ever hoped. That Jesus is ushering in a new way, a new kingdom, a new standard. Jesus isn't lowering the bar so that more can come in. Rather, he is raising the bar for those who have come in. Jesus has called his disciples to be salt and light in an unsavory and dark world. This is the essence of the Sermon on the Mount. He is calling the disciples to a higher standard of ethics. He is calling us to a higher standard of righteousness. Not a works righteousness, but a righteousness that works. A righteousness that is not our own, that is imputed to us. A righteousness that flows through us and out of us. A righteousness that is described as salt and light. And it is no wonder that Jesus' teaching on deception and truth-taking follows, oath-taking rather, follows his warning against adultery and divorce. For where do we find deception and lying close at heart, but in the context of both adultery and divorce? And here Jesus again, as he's done through these, these six antithesis to the Old Testament law, where he, he takes on and confronts wrong interpretation and more importantly, wrong application of Old Testament law. He clarifies it and interprets the intention of the law and calls us as his disciples to this higher ethical standard. It is so easy for Christians to say, oh my goodness, there is no way I will ever be able to obey the Sermon on the Mount. Friends, you're selling yourself short. You're selling the Spirit of God short. Our minds are to be renewed, the Apostle Paul says. That is what the Sermon on the Mount is doing. It's renewing our mind. It's, it's reorienting us. It's retraining us to think like kingdom people. These are the ethics of the kingdom of God. They are high and lofty. And we strive for them by God's grace alone. We invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you've not done already. We're kind of making our way through these uh, various Old Testament laws. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, 
either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Well, Jesus here's teaching is quite straightforward. It's kind of hard not to just read that and say, okay, don't do that, do this. All right, let's all go home. But Jesus here, in confronting oath-taking, is taking a distortion and applying biblical principles concerning integrity. In other words, Jesus' point is summarized in this way. That as Christians, we should cultivate a life of integrity such that our words can be believed without an oath. In other words, everyone should believe what you say because you always tell the truth. See how that works? In other words, Jesus is saying there's no reason to have oaths. There's no reason for you to be swearing oaths. Because your life is so consistent in telling the truth that everyone takes you at your word. Your word means something. You're believable. You're trustworthy because you always say what is true. So the purpose of our time this morning is to help us, I think, deprogram and reprogram. In other words, find where we tend to rely more on swearing promises rather than devoting ourselves to integrity. In other words, Jesus here is confronting a crutch that you and I have a tendency, in particularly historical context, had the, the, uh, the, the religious leaders that Jesus is confronting here, had a tendency to crutch themselves on oaths on sort of sayings, rather than being consistent in their lives, such that their yeses were yes and their noes were no. And so for us, what God is really encouraging us through his word is to be true and trustworthy because our God is true and trustworthy. You could say it this way. You're no more like God than when you tell the truth. How fitting on Mother's Day, I I mean... What mom hasn't told us to tell the truth, be truth tellers. It's a simple command. Tell the truth. But isn't it hard? It's so hard sometimes to tell the truth, to be honest, to be honest. People, we're afraid what people might think or might say. We're afraid we might get in trouble. There might be some consequence. Sometimes we're intentionally deceiving others. We We don't want them to know the truth. Jesus here outlines three steps, I think, to cultivating integrity in our lives. Again, Jesus is after our hearts. Jesus is saying, listen, the the problem is in your heart. And and so out of the heart comes lies, Jesus will say later in in Matthew chapter 19. Out of the heart comes these things. And and so this is a heart problem, brothers and sisters. We We need to get to the heart of the matter. And Jesus outlines these three steps. First, 
In verses 33 and 30 through 36, he says simply, stop taking oaths. I mean, how simple, right? Stop taking oaths. Stop it, he says. Slaps their hands. Stop it. Second, stand behind your word. There at the beginning of verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Stand behind your word. In other words, be a truth teller. And third and finally, in cultivating integrity in our life, we want to avoid the deception and being deceived and deceiving others. We want to avoid the evil of deception. He says, he says that essentially oath-taking is a form of deception. And we want to avoid any way that we might be tempted to deceive others in our lives, whether it be through oath-taking or whether it be through outright lying. Jesus says we want to cultivate integrity by avoiding the evil of deception. Well, let's look here first, verses 33 through 36. This is really the, the, the thrust the, of Jesus' teaching. He says, outright, stop taking oaths. Stop taking oaths. Here in verse 33, Jesus begins by saying, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old. This is Jesus' way again of saying, hey, in the Old Testament, this is what was taught. Hey, this is how the religious leaders, this is how the scribes, this is how the interpreters of the law have understood the law. You've, you've heard it through tradition. And then he quotes. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, you'll notice in many of your Bibles, there may be a footnote that says, hey, this is a direct quote from this verse. And or from that section. You'll notice right here, there's not a direct quote. It's because Jesus is sort of conflating together a couple ideas and, and forming it together in, in order to, to really get at the misconception. Jesus deals really more with the first half of verse 33 than he really does with the second half in his teaching. But he says to them, he quotes to them, you shall not swear falsely. Well, this is clearly summarized in the ninth commandment, is it not? In the ninth commandment, in the ten commandments, the ninth commandment is, thou shall not bear false witness. There shall, shall not lie. Thou shall not lie to your neighbor. Deceive your neighbor. And then secondly, Jesus addresses this aspect of vow taking. Whatever, whatever vow you take, you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn so, for example, in Leviticus 19, verse 12, perhaps this is what Jesus is referring to. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord. I am the Lord. In other words, Jesus is sort of combining together not only the ninth commandment, but the third commandment that is taking the Lord's name in vain. In other words, appealing to the Lord and saying, hey, the Lord is my deposit on the truthfulness of my word. Interestingly enough, here in verse 33, he uses the word Lord. Kurios, Lord. It's a reference to who, uh, not, not only God, but, but the office of king, that he is the Lord, the kingship of God. He, put the, he puts the king really in view as he helps his disciples think through 
appealing to a higher authority to gain traction with their words. In other words, taking an oath is appealing to some higher power in order to to sort of be a down payment or deposit. And while the Old Testament allowed for oath-taking, many in Jesus' day were using these oaths as a concession. This concession is an opportunity for evil. Therefore, they, rather than cultivating integrity in their life, they were using these oaths as a crutch to fall back on. One could simply brush away a lie with the promise of an oath. And Jesus calls his disciples to say, no, we're, we're going we're to stop doing that. Or we're going to start doing something else. They had become so accustomed to taking these oaths that they had drifted into disobeying the third and ninth commandment. Simply put, if one regularly tells the truth, Jesus says, in a way that does not seek to deceive others but stands behind their words, then there is little need for oath-taking. His argument is quite straightforward, isn't it? He's like, hey, if you just always tell the truth and everybody knows you as be a person who tells the truth, well, then what's the purpose of oath-taking? What is an oath? Well, an oath is to affirm the veracity of one statement by invoking a transcendent entity, i.e. God, and it implies an invitation of punishment if one is untruthful. And we use various words like to swear. I swear I will do X. I promise on my mother's grave. We do this in various ways. In other words, an oath is like a little down payment on a purchase. You put a little down as a promise to pay what you owe. An oath appeals to this greater and higher authority as a promise that you will come through on your word. And if you don't come through on your word, then whatever you you swore to will come and get you. It seeks to be a foundational piece. Uh, Sure, that's that's why you'll hear in sort of pop culture what I just said about uh, I, I swear on my mother's grave. What does that mean? Well, in English, what simply that means is I mean, no one would trample the integrity, you know, their mother. No one would go against their mother. And so it's meant to sort of, I stand behind what I say. Rather than actually just being a person who's truthful and standing behind what you say. What is it that Jesus is getting at? Why is it? I mean, you think about it. I mean, lust is a big deal. Anger is a big deal. Divorce, of course, a big deal. But oath taking? Really, Jesus? This is so important. I mean, what's the big deal? Why spend so much time on truth-telling? What's the big deal? Well, if you see how Jesus unfolds his argument in verses 34 through 36, you kind of get the idea of why it's such a big deal. In other words, notice how each of these references that he makes In 34 through 36, each have some aspect to God's character. In other words, to take an oath undermines the character of God. Notice what he says. Do not, he says, take an oath at all. 
And, and in case you don't know how to read English, he means at all. In the English there, that word all, it's the same word in Greek. It means all. There is no context here. We'll get to a different context in a moment. But, but here in the context of the community of God's people, there's no reason for us to be taking oaths. He says, do not take an oath at all. And then he goes to list out four arenas or four higher authorities that one might take. First, by heaven. Second, by earth. Third, by Jerusalem. And fourth, verse 36, by your own head. What is Jesus implying? Well, these would have been four areas that folks would have have said. I I swear by heaven. In other words, heaven. What's heaven? Heaven is the dwelling place of God. This is the highest form of oath-taking, Jesus says. For it is the throne of God. It's the dwelling place. Here Jesus is quoting Isaiah 66 and verse 1. Thus says the Lord, The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? In other words, it's an appeal to God's dwelling place and an appealing to saying that God will get me if I go against this oath. Secondly, he points to the earth, for the earth is its, his footstool. The earth was God's dwelling place with man, right? The Garden of Eden, that's the whole idea, right? God created man, he put him in a garden, and the earth was the place that God met with man. And, and so it's an appealing to God's creative creation, his sovereignty over creation. As Isaiah 45, 19 says, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Here, the appeal is to a God who dwells on earth with his people. And that's the God who I'm going to swear by. I'm going to swear by the earth. Thirdly, here he says, by Jerusalem. Well, of course, Jerusalem was again God's dwelling place. Jerusalem being the place where the temple was, where God's people met with him. An appeal to God's earthly dwelling place. For it is the great king in Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Fourthly, we see in verse 36, Jesus tells his disciples, commands disciples, do not take an oath by your own head. Again, to take an oath by one's own life, I promise, he says, or I I swear on my own life that I will, will do what I say I'm going to do. Jesus says, don't do that. You are not sovereign over your creation. Notice what he says. For you cannot make one hair white or black. In other words, you are not the authority on you. You can't appeal to yourself as an authoritative person because you have no control, he says. There is yet a better way. Jesus here is telling his disciples to stop taking oaths because oaths are a band-aid when what is really needed is surgery. Oaths by their very nature undermine the character of God and promote a lack of integrity. 
They were undermining God's character. God was just a, a, a little lucky rabbit's foot. A little trinket that they could hold out in order to convince others that they were truth tellers. Friend, do you just find yourself constantly using phrases like, I swear I will do this? Or I promise I will get this done? Or God as my witness? You know, we so often qualify our speech in order to win over those we are communicating to. In order to convince others that we are truthful, we run around swearing all the time. I mean, think back just this past week, how often, oh, I, I promise, I swear. You know, it's kind of like uh, cursing, right? We kind of Christianize it, right? We know what you're talking about. I mean, we're not dumb, you know, you know, just, I mean, it starts with the same letter as the real word, you know, I mean, just because you changed up the spelling a little bit doesn't take away the weight of it, does it? <laughs> right? It's still sin. You just cleaned it up, made it look pretty, but it's still sin. And we do it and we don't even recognize it. It just sort of comes out. How are we doing that? Brothers and sisters, we want to fight the urge to shore up our words by swearing instead of cultivating a life of truthfulness such that your words are meaningful. I used to tell students years ago that, 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 that when you use foul language, you're revealing to those you're using it around that you're ignorant. And, and, I, and they would be like, what do you mean? Are you calling me dumb? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, because only ignorant people, ignorant in, in this sense that you don't have any other vocabulary, ignorant in that people who have vocabulary are able to communicate emotion in, in a way that's not using an, you know, some sort of curse word. Mature people demonstrate their ability to communicate passionately with words rather than just throwing bombs. And so, yes, I, I mean that you're being an idiot. You're being a fool. And in the same way, we are undermining our Christian maturity when we are quick to take oaths rather than doing the hard work, the laborious work of cultivating integrity. Now, really quickly, before we move on, because I know maybe you've already had this question rolling through your mind. What about taking oaths of office in the public square? Well, the context here of Jesus' instructions is important to remember. He is not writing to the wider culture. He's writing to kingdom people. He's writing to the church, the community of faith, the people of God. Therefore, one would understand the necessity of oaths outside of this context. Thus, Christians historically, for 2,000 years, yes, there's been a few that have derailed and got off on this subject. Historically, Christians have not understood Jesus' teaching here as a prohibition against oaths in the public square where those individuals do not know your life as intimately as those in the household of faith. 
Regardless of our context, we still desire to pursue a life of integrity where our words are true and trustworthy. It doesn't mean that in the public square we can be liars and deceivers. No, we still want to cultivate integrity, but understand in different contexts, and particularly the public square, one might see the need to perhaps swearing uh, an oath in a public for a public office of We'll let your conscience uh, decide on that matter. We won't bind it in particularly, but just to allude to historically, Christians have understood that it is not disobeying Jesus' teaching here. The context that Jesus is dealing with is the, the context of the local church, cultivating in the community of faith integrity such that we are people who are known for our words. Therefore, we don't need to take oaths. We don't take oaths here in the church. We, we don't stand and say, I promise or I swear by heaven and hell that I will do this or that. Rather, our words are simply to be yes and no. A lack of integrity, Jesus says, necessitates oath-taking. But one who is known for truth-telling does not need it. And that leads us here to verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. In other words, tell the truth. Tell the truth. Stand behind your word. Straightforwardly, Jesus means here that our words are to be that which is continual in truth-telling and consistent in their intent. That you are known as a person of integrity. Friends, integrity allows us to stand on our words. Integrity gives our words meaning. I mean, if you know somebody who is a notorious liar, you rarely trust what they say. If you know someone to be a notorious gossiper, how often do you really listen to what they have to say? You, you know that they're, they're, they only teach and speak in half-truths. You know that they're always distorting the message. They're always hyping it up or cleaning it up or whatever they're doing to it. They, you know that their message is not consistently true. And so Jesus here points to these aspects and he says, let it simply, he says. Notice how he qualifies it. Note how he describes it. A simple yes and a simple no. Isn't it fascinating the language he's just yes, no. Have you ever uh, dealt with kids when you're trying to interrogate them, right? The first thing when, when you're learning how to parent, right, is don't ask yes or no questions, right? Uh, did you clean your room? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, let's get into that a little bit more. All right. Did you, what is it, what is your definition of a clean room, right? right? You got to ask a little bit, right? And so you got to love Jesus here. He, he just says yes and no. In other words, be continual in your truth telling. The Bible regularly upholds this virtue of continual truth telling. And does so by contrasting it with the deadly consequences of lying. I mean, if you just do a little quick search this afternoon of these ideas of telling the truth and of lying, you will just find hundreds of verses dealing with this subject. Why? Because it's a common problem. And you know what happens so often? Common problems get ignored. Right? That squeaky door 
that you walk in and out of your house or that squeaky floor or that little issue. You just kind of come to the point where I know it's broken, but you know what? I, I got other things to deal with. And lying can be one of those things. Deception can be, you know, just kind of, it's just normal. It's just, what, just who we are. The Proverbs paint such a vivid picture of the contrasting realities of truth and, and lying. Proverbs 12, verse 19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Is it enduring and dying? Some uh, Proverbs 14. A truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. There the contrast is be, be one who is a life giver and one who rather gives death. Whereas we heard earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, that Christians are to be marked. One of the characteristics of a, of a gospel Christian is, is one of a truth telling. Rather speak the truth in love, Paul says. Speak the truth in love. We're honest people. We don't lie. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let us each one speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. In other words, Paul says, hey, you want to how to, you know how to deal with lying? You know how to, you know how to work on, on, on lying? It's pretty simple. Tell the truth. Because if you don't tell the truth, then you're just going to lie. You see, as Christians, we put off the old man and we put on the new man. We put off lying and we put on truth-telling. But to cultivate integrity, we also need to be consistent we must avoid half-truths, which often masquerade as the truth. Remember that famous passage in the New Testament that the, the enemy masquerades, that the devil masquerades as what? An angel of light. And so often our speech is, is just really a masquerade of the truth. The Bible describes integrity as one who is consistent in their truth-telling. So, for example, in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. It's a secure walk, not a shaky walk. In other words, they're not spinning webs of lies. Isn't that funny how lies, man, they can just get out of hand real quick. Proverbs 19 verse 1, better is a poor person who walks in integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Better to, better to have nothing and to be a person of integrity than to be wealthy and known and be a fool. Or as Paul was instructing young Titus there in Crete, he says to him, show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity. What a word for pastors and teachers to be be people men of integrity not gifted orators not passionate preachers he says man i don't want you to be some some you know charles spurgeon i want you to be a man of integrity that's the that's how high brothers and sisters we want to hold the office of the pastorate one who is leads a life of integrity and for us this morning, as we think about this, 
Are you known for your word? Like, do people know you? And they, I know, I know him. I know her. They, they're a person of their word. When you talk to others, do you believe, do they believe rather, what you are saying? How do you know that if you don't ask them? Can, can people simply take you at your word? Does your yes mean yes and your no mean no? Do, do you have a track record of telling the truth? See, the enemy would love nothing more than to undermine your word. Why? Because if you're a liar... Why should I believe you about the gospel of Jesus Christ that you want to tell and share if you are known to me as a liar in other areas? Parents, you might want to think about that in regards to some holidays you celebrate and the way you celebrate them. Because if you're lying to me about this, why should I believe you about that? If you've deceived me for years about this, why should I believe you about that? Well, I'll leave that to your own conscience to figure out. Brothers and sisters, that's why we must take caution. This is a gospel issue, is it not? Imagine if our community thought we were just a bunch of liars. Imagine if we didn't have integrity. Our, our gospel witness would be undermined. We would be hurt by that. We want to be people who are known for the truth. Integrity is built upon the back of truthfulness. You can't wake up one morning and say, I'm an integrity person. I, that's, integrity is my name. No, it's, it's built on a lifetime of telling the truth. Telling the truth when no one would have known. You know how often in your life you could have got away with a lie? No one would have known. I mean, you know, the IRS has got a lot of things going on. I mean, you could fudge the number here or there, couldn't you? You could check out of work a little early. The boss won't know. You see those little, itty-bitty, deceptive steps undermine our ability to be men and women of, of integrity. And this is why Jesus concludes this, this section there in verse 37 by saying, anything more than this comes from evil. What does Jesus mean? Well, I think he means to avoid the evil of deception. In other words, he's getting at exactly what the problem is, and that is using oaths in order to deceive others. Man, that... That guy's willing to swear on his mother's grave. He must be telling the truth when he's not. Oh, he must be telling the truth. He swore to God that, that, he, that he's telling the truth. You see, there's many temptations for us in us to use language in order to shore up the veracity of our speech as a veiled attempt to get others to believe us. This is why he attributes anything beyond honesty as a, an attempt at evil. 
Notice what he says. Look, anything more than simply a yes or no comes from evil. In other words, it's a sourced from evil. And you'll see a little footnote there. Maybe the evil one. The one who knows the heart of man, Jesus Christ, is revealing the motivation behind our actions of swearing. We take oaths in order to deceive others and in doing so, play right into the hand of the evil one. What did Jesus say about the evil one in John chapter 8? In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says this to the Pharisees when he was confronting them. He says to them, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. In other words, a half truth is still not a truth. That's that's the name of the game for the enemy, Jesus says. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You want something to chew on. That last statement, something to chew on. That is that every lie that you told, ultimately, Jesus says, traces its ways all the way back to the father of lies. And you are no more like the devil himself than when you tell those little sweet lies of yours. Or as Paul says in Romans 3.13, that our throat is an open grave, that they use their tongues to deceive. In other words, any form of lying or deception ultimately has its source in the evil one, who was himself a deceiver from the beginning. This is why we must avoid it at all costs. We want to cultivate integrity by avoiding opportunities of deception. Where are you being tempted to undermine your word by deceiving others? Maybe it's intentional, maybe it's unintentional. Every day presents an opportunity for you to deceive others. And I already alluded to one little subtle area that you and I tend to do it the most. And this is, I mean, serious. I'm not being silly. I'm not being funny. But how often have you gathered with us on the Lord's Day? How often has a brother or sister emailed you or texted you or called you on the phone and asked you, how are you doing spiritually? And your response is fine. Okay, good. When in reality... You're not, and you know it. You see those little little steps of deception? They seem small, and they seem insignificant, but they mount into an overwhelming hill that cannot be overcome. Lies are, we know, are snowballs. They start small and innocent enough, and then they grow to the point where they devour us and destroy our lives. Friend, the subtlety of deception is why it is so dangerous. Deception is so subtle, brothers and sisters. It it, it does not come out like a full-blown lie. This is why Jesus warns us of the vicious trap 
that anything beyond truth-telling is a lie that will destroy. Friend, God created this world to be a world of truth, a self-revealing world. And Satan deceived Adam and Eve in the garden, convincing them of a lie. It was a lie. They lied. And on top of that, what did, what did Adam and Eve do? They lied. Adam's like, man, the woman, that woman made me do it. And then Eve's like, the snake made me do it. Nobody made you do nothing, you liar. You willingly rebelled against God and you believed the lie that everything would turn out okay. But Jesus Christ, that truth made flesh, came to reveal the truth that if we follow God, if we repent and believe in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection, that we too can live. Brothers and sisters, that is why we have hope this morning. That Jesus Christ came into the re- this world to redeem Liars like you and like me. He died on the cross because we're liars. And one day he's coming again. And listen to this. So that we will not see through a glass dimly lip. That we will see him as he is. That we will know him. That there will be no deception. No lying. In fact, liars aren't even allowed in the kingdom. Only truth. Brothers and sisters, in order to cultivate integrity in our lives, we must sidestep any whiff of deception. Deception is a trap of the evil one and undermines our integrity. Let us be people who cultivate integrity in our lives. Let us be known for that. Not for being winsome, not for being amazing, but being being integrity. Being an integrous person, one who tells the truth. We have little need for oaths because we always tell the truth. Our truth telling simply reflects who we serve. Our God is a truth telling God. He is true. He is trustworthy. He never lies. And therefore, we're people of the truth. Kingdom people live like their king. We stop taking oaths, we stand behind our word, and we avoid all forms of deception. I leave you with this call to action from the great practical theologian of the Church of England, the great Bishop J.C. Ryle. He writes, We must keep our lips, as it were, with a bridle, and exercise an hourly strictness over our words. Let me call, they, excuse me, they may call us precise if they will for doing so. They may say if they please that we are being too particular. We need not be moved, he says. We are merely doing as our Lord Jesus Christ bids us. And if this is the case, we have no cause to be ashamed. Brothers and sisters, a world that lives on lies. In in a world that lives on deception, on telling half-truths, on communicating narratives of lies, let us be people who are known for not only believing the truth, but telling the truth. Let's pray. Father, we do pray this morning that this is what we'd be known for. 
as kingdom people, we'd be people of the truth. Help us to do that. Expose in us ways in which we may be deceiving others, deceiving our spouses, deceiving ourselves, deceiving our friends and family, deceiving our brothers and sisters in this congregation. Let us cultivate in our lives this truth-telling that we might be known not only here in this, in this community of faith, but also in the wider secular community as people and men and women of integrity. Help us for your glory we do this in Christ's name. Amen.